Okay, we are going through the Bible on Sunday nights, and we're all the way in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 32. Ezekiel chapter 32. So a full day with Ezekiel today. We were in Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel chapter 32. Let's pray before we begin. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. Here's a Bible right here. Run, Jasmine, run. Run with that Bible. (laughs) Anyone else need a Bible? Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful example of a man of God who is faithful to declare all the words, Lord, that you gave to him. Lord, and I know that you give us a word, and we don't want to keep your word to ourselves. I just pray that we would learn from his example. But Lord, there are warnings here. Let our heart be warned. There are encouragements here as well. Let our heart be encouraged this evening. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay. Chapter 32 marks the end of a, uh, a section. The first... Oh, here comes Albert with my footstool. All right. Hi, Albert. Thank you. Ezekiel was a prophet who prophesied right before the fall of Jerusalem. The kings had, uh, of the nation of Israel had reigned for about 430 years. The messianic line had been established in Jerusalem with King David. And at this point, the very last king who would reign uh, in Jerusalem until the reign of Jesus Christ in the millennial reign. At this time, the last king, Zedekiah, was on the throne. And the fall of Jerusalem is just about to happen. We were actually going to read about that this evening. But God had been faithful to send prophets generation after generation to Israel. And Jeremiah was prophesying in Jerusalem at this time. Ezekiel was in the land of Babylon which is where the Israelites, many of, many of them had been taken prisoner and brought back there. It was a five-month journey to modern-day Iraq, Babylon. And that's where Ezekiel was. You know, God is faithful to send prophets and today pastors, missionaries to his people all over the world. And uh, that's what happened here. Many of his people had been brought 900 miles away to the land of Babylon. And uh, he sent the prophet Ezekiel there. So they were both prophesying regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years, repent, Jerusalem, or Jerusalem is going to be wiped out. 
or a better way of saying it is Jerusalem is going to be wiped out, kind of like Jonah said Nineveh is going to be wiped out. It was an opportunity to repent. The Ninevites did repent under Jonah, and God withheld his judgment. That's not going to happen with Jerusalem. Nevertheless, he gave them a chance to repent. But that was about the first, I can't remember, about 26 chapters or 23 or 24 chapters. But the last eight or nine chapters have been the judgments on the nation. So the first really 23 chapters, give or take a few chapters, was regarding the coming judgment on Jerusalem. And then there were the judgment of the nations around Israel. And we've put up that map so uh, several times. It's just uh, the, all the nations surrounding Israel. Uh, uh, Israel, the prophet Ezekiel, had a word for them as well. You know, it is true that God used Israel, starting with Abraham, to be a light to the nations and that the children of Israel were distinctly the, uh, God's children. However, throughout the Old Testament, you see people saved from other nations who uh, surrounding Israel, who had come in uh, to Israel because they saw, wow, there's a, there's a living God there. There's a real God there. And uh, so uh, you will see that uh, throughout the Old Testament. But uh, here, the last of the judgments is against uh, Egypt. Now, Egypt, throughout the Old Testament, it was a superpower. Now, they had been waning somewhat uh, for some time at, at this time when Ezekiel's prophesying, but they were very much of a world power. And so five or six chapters was just dedicated to Egypt alone. But here's the last one in, in chapter 32. It says, It came to path, pass in the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me Saying So, by the way, if anyone, for those of you who are interested, that's March 3rd, 585 B.C. See, this is a, a, a real history book here. This is just, doesn't, isn't just someone throwing words on a page. March 3rd, 585. This is what the prophet Ezekiel heard on that day. God telling him, son of man, take up a lamentation, meaning a funeral dirge. Uh, a song of sorrow for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, you are like a young lion among the nations and you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet and fouling their rivers. By the way, if you, throughout the book of Ezekiel, he does name these specific dates. It's two years since he's received an oracle. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord wasn't speaking to him at an individual level, but this is a prophetic ministry where sometimes a couple years went by between oracles or prophecies for the nation of Israel, the nations around him. And so... Uh, uh, it's verse 3 says, and Thus says the Lord, I will therefore spread my net over you with a company of many people. They will draw you up in my net. They will 
then I will leave you on the land. I will cast you out in the open fields. Now, this is not good news for a pharaoh. The pharaoh, by the way, is Pharaoh Hophra. The Pharaoh Hophra. But as you know, pharaohs built pyramids for themselves. Gigantic pyramids. That's what those pyramids are all about. They're tombs. There are tombs in the middle of them. And for a pharaoh to be told that, oh, he's not going to have a big pyramid, he is going to be thrown out in the open field, not a good thing. And I'm going to cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens, meaning his body is just going to be thrown out. And with you I will fill the beasts of the earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains, fill the valleys with your carcass. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood, even to the mountains, and the riverbeds will be full of you. When I put you, I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make it, its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon the land. That is sort of a metaphor there of when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, after he destroys Jerusalem, was going to come down to Egypt. This prophecy was going to come come to pass, just like every other word that the Lord gives. Pharaoh Hophra, his palace, by the way, discovered in 1909 near a squalid village. Anyone know what a squalid village is? just a place where like no plumbing just extremely poor people uh, live you know no electric no electricity of course in 1909 and 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 uh, there's not plumbing electricity were you know uh, a, a rare thing in many most parts of the world but it was just a, a, an unknown place his palace a magnificent palace they found all these incredible sculptures and uh, they found uh, huge mar- you know huge pillars uh, a, a plaza in it just a magnificent thing uh, underneath a uh, a gray mud hill and, I, and and as I was thinking of that this is what becomes of riches <laughs> this is what becomes of this world's luxury. What a great picture. Just this, this incredibly powerful Pharaoh, everything that he marveled in, uh, this incredible palace underneath a gray mud hill. So just over time, people just looked at it and forgot about it. And over time, just it was overcome by, by dirt and then you couldn't even see it anymore. And it's such a, it is a great picture for you and me. And Jesus is, says so clearly, you cannot serve God in money and, and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. And, and uh, be, because on earth, uh, you know, what we have is going to be covered with a gray mud hill someday. But uh, all this prophecy came to pass. Verse 9, I will also trouble the hearts of many people when I bring your destruction among the nations. And so many people relied upon the Egyptians, 
just for, for security, many nations did. Outside of Egypt, they relied on Egypt for commerce. They relied on Egypt for security, this type of thing. I heard that you know, at the time that 9-11 happened, uh, you know, there, were, uh, there are still some countries, nations in the world that really, really uh, are fond of the, of the United States. Uh, when I was in Ireland 25 years ago, they were very fond of the United States. I understand it's not as much like that anymore. But um, when I was in Italy, they were very f- fond of Americans. Uh, French, uh, not so. But uh, anyway, Hungary... I understand that when 9-11 happened, the country was deeply, deeply troubled because after the uh, fall of the Soviet Union, Hungary got its independence. There was a really, the, the history with Hungary and Germany was not good because of World War II and what Hitler did. And, and so um, they, they don't, a lot of the other places in Eastern Europe, they sort of looked to Germany after the fall of um, the Soviet Union, not so hungry. They've always been sort of focused and relied and appreciated the uh, help of the United States. And after 9-11, a lot of these countries like Hungary, who they were just in shock. They were troubled. Wow, this is happening to the United States? And the same picture here, that, uh, that, uh, that it says the nation's Many countries will be troubled. Verse 10, yes, I will make many astonished at you and their king shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them and they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of your fall. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. And, you know, at the time this was prophesied, uh, many just did not believe this would ever ha- happen, including uh, there were some people remaining in Israel, some Jews who fled to Egypt thinking they were going to escape Nebuchadnezzar's um, sword. Uh, but they, they escaped to Babylon and uh, they escaped to Egypt and the king of Babylon just went down there. And so uh, this this would happen. Verse 12, by the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them the most terrible of nations, I will cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt. And, you know, that's what this world is full of. You know, nations rise up, they obtain a lot of wealth, and, and, and what, result, what result is pomp, Pride. A, a pomp is a display of pride. Pomp is an outward manifestation of pride. When a nation gets very, very uh, wealthy and powerful, pomp would be, you know, when it marches its warriors through the, the streets with tanks and, 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 and soldiers with... Uh, very fancy uniforms and, and this type of stuff. And, 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 and God is perfect in justice and justice is a part of his character and, and pride is the sin of the devil. It's the sin of the Garden of Eden and God can't help but judge pride. And that's why you don't have a superpower that has reigned for the last, whatever, 6,000 years. 
because of they all they usually last two or three hundred years and they go down because God always judges pride and that should be a warning for us in the United States uh, certainly so it was about their pride verse 13 and I will destroy all its animals besides its great waters the foot of man shall muddy them no more nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them then I will make their waters clear and make their rivers run like oil says the Lord when I make the land of Egypt desolate and the country is destitute of all that once filled it when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And this, that verse is repeated throughout the book of Ezekiel. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And that goes for ju- after judgments on Israel, but it also goes for, uh, pertains to judgments of other nations, even other nations, pagan nations, you know, nations that just put Yahweh, Jehovah, was one of many gods maybe in their pantheon or a god that they recognized. The other nations recognized that there was a god of Israel. He was just many, one of many gods. Verse 17, skip down there. It came to pass also in the 12th year on the 15th day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying. So that's 15 days later. <laughs> 15 days after the lamentation in verse 2, here's another one, a lamentation. Now, in this lamentation, it's going to be very similar to the one that we were in a couple weeks ago, which was a haunting chapter, which likened the various succeeding empires the Medes and the Persians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, it likened them to cedars who, which are, are like a redwood in this country, who they all fell down and they went into Hades, into hell. Here we go again in chapter 32. Now you will hear from time to time that people who attack the doctrine of hell, they say, well, it really didn't exist in the Old Testament. Well, that's because they haven't read their Old Testament very well because while it's true that you know the, the Bible says in First Timothy that immortality or eternity came to light through the gospel through Jesus Christ in other words it was all clarified before Jesus Christ there actually are a number of places in the Old Testament with references to hell and here's one of them Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 17 to the uh, end of the chapter. Verse 18, Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and cast them down to the depths of the earth, her and the daughter of the famous nations, with those who go down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? This is sarcasm here. Go down, be placed with the uncircumcised. So, at one time, you know, you know, Pharaoh was like, no one surpasses me in, in beauty. Well, you're not going to say that when you are in the, it, it, down in hell, in Hades. Go down to be the place with the uncircumcised. The uncircumcised, uh, it's kind of like saying the scum of the earth. It, it's, everyone's the same there. 
And that's where you are going. Verse 21, the strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with those who help him. So people, people in hell, in this place of judgment, and we were in the book of Luke uh, a couple Sundays ago speaking of this very place. Before Jesus Christ, there was a place of judgment. Uh, and a waiting place, and there's a, a place of, of comfort, the bosom of Abraham. Uh, heaven opened up at the time of Jesus' crucifixion and, and, and resurrection, but until then, here in the Old Testament, is sort of a waiting place. But notice in verse 21 that people are aware of their surroundings in this place that they go to. So recently... Because the doctrine of hell is a very unpalatable one, and indeed, in in some respects, you know, as I said on Sunday a couple of weeks ago, my, my intellect understands it, my heart doesn't like it, but because we don't necessarily like something in the Word of God doesn't mean it's not true, but because some folks don't like it, they've come up with a doctrine called annihilationism, in, including some some well-known, very well-regarded Christians that after death there's going to be some kind of purgatory thing going on and then there's, souls will be annihilated. In other words, they will cease to exist. And there's no, that's just not taught in the Bible. And so here you have a consciousness of people um, who are in hell. The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell, verse 21, with those who help him. They have gone down. They lie with the uncircumcised slain by the sword. Assyria is there. So Assyria, here again, just like chapter 31, Assyria was another mighty empire. And someone's might, someone's power, someone's strength in this life uh, has no bearing on whether or not they, where they will be in eternity. It's, it's whether they look to God and look by faith to the promises of God. It says Assyria will, will be there with their graves all around, all of them slain, falling, fallen by the sword. Her graves are set in the recesses of the pit. Her company is all around her grave. So this is not an easy chapter to go through. <laughs> this is not an easy t- chapter to, uh, uh, to go through. I was talking to Jerry today who does translation and sometimes he's at the end of his translations, he's like, hmm, I need to come back for a message at night. And I said, that's a great idea, as long as you don't mind listening about judgment. Because <laughs> um, so oftentimes in, the, in these prophets that we've been in, it's just, it's about judgment. And, and these are very healthy warnings to our hearts, the word of God. Uh, but uh, this chapter is an intense chapter. Verse 24, there is Elam. Elam is Persia, another former world power. Now, it would be a world power again after this point. Interesting fact for all of you people who love history. Persia sort of had ups and downs, and there was a Persian kingdom before this time. There would be the Medes and Persians after this time. And, uh, um, but those who had been a part of this former ruling world, world power in Persia, they would, were down there too. Uh, it says in the middle of verse 24, they caused their terror in the land of the living. Now they bear their shame. They're, whatsoever a man sows, 
the Bible says in the book of Galatians, among many other places, he will reap. Now they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Verse 25, they have set her bed in the midst of the slain with all her multitude, with her uh, graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Though their terror was caused in the land of the living, yet they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Verse 26, there are, and again, he's describing these, these people groups of these former empires who everyone at the time thought they were invincible. People look at America today. Oh, they look so invincible. They may in the natural in this life, but in the eyes of eternity, everyone's invincible. We read a couple of chapters back, Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, all souls are mine, <laughs> including the souls of my, that, are, that are in the midst of mighty empires. And, and whether you live in a mighty empire or not, you need to repent and turn to the living God. So here's another kingdom in verse 26. Oh, there, and he, again, he's, he's, this is a description, very creepy <laughs> description here of all these peoples who are in Hades, hell, the resting place for the dead who will, are, are waiting for a time of judgment, but it's also a time of torment. Verse 26, there are Me, Meshach and Tubal and all their multitudes. Now, Meshach and Tubal, underline those, those that, that they are going to be resurrected in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as a nation of people who is going to have a role in the end times, at the time where right, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, so really, really interesting. Now, Herodotus, where's Meshach and Tubal, and who are these guys anyway? Well, the, the, this is areas, uh, just like Elam, Assyria, and Egypt. Herodotus, the ancient historian, uh, identifies them as living between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, northern Caucasus. And, of course, being a dutiful teacher of the Word of God, I have bought, I have brought with you this evening via Sean Sepulveda a map of this very area. And so I'm going to back up, and we'll see where the northern cock... And the reason, there's actually two of them. Can we, do you have the other one as well? Let's stay with this one. No, let's go to the other one first. So the northern... Caucasus is this area. Now, we just, the Marathon bombers were, they, they were Chechnyan, very violent area with a, a very sad, tragic history for many years. But um, the, this, so this area is, is really southern Russia, is Meshach and Tubal, although um, many scholars put some of the uh, pinpoint some of the areas in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is about end times prophecy. Ezekiel is going to get into end times very shortly. It's going to start in the next chapter. But that's where it's at. And just to give you a better, um, a, a better so north of Turkey, here it is. So yes, it's uh, in between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. It's this area 
right here, the Northern Caucasus, uh, and uh, a lot more in them l later, but in the end times, right before the second coming of Christ, it does talk about a, a tremendous army or military conflict that originates in this area and comes south right down into Israel, which is uh, right down, right down there. So you guys like maps, kind of. Don't you like when I bring these maps? I mean, you don't want to just listen to me the whole time. You know, you look at these maps. They have colors and everything. Didn't Sean do a great job putting this up? But, um, <laughs> and so, but kind of like Elam, Persia, there was a, there, there, there was a kingdom in this area that we really don't know a whole lot about. Uh, we haven't read much about them in history books actually don't have a lot about them, but they, they too were an empire at one time, and they're down there uh, as well. Verse 27, thank God for Jesus Christ and our salvation. That's all I have to say as we go into verse 27. They do not lie with the mighty who are fallen of them, circumcised, who have gone down to hell with their weapons of war. You know, God hates war. The Bible's really clear that he hates war. We'll actually get that more into that in the next more into that type of thing in the next chapter. But man, um, the history of man is just filled with, and we talked about pomp, but there's, which is a manifestation of pride, but so is war. War is oftentimes a manifestation of pride, the pride of man, and, and, and empires feeling invincible, putting themselves in the shoe, uh, shoes or, or the throne of God, you know, thinking that, they can control the world, but they, they, they can't. And here, here it is. You know, you've gone down to hell with all your weapons of war. Their iniquities will be on their bones. Oh, my. Because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. Yes, you shall be broken in the midst of those who are uncircumcised. In verse 29, it gets into Edom. They're also down here at the end of verse 29. They're down in the pit. There is verse 30, the Sidonians, and we've, we've talked about them. Those are the Phoenicians. That's modern-day Beirut, Lebanon, Tyre, and Sidon. Phenomenally, we read about those couple chapters of how powerful this area was of the Phoenicians. They're in the, down in the pit as well in verse 30. Verse 31, Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all his multitude. Now that, too, is divine sarcasm. He's just going to go down there, and, uh, you know, you do hear very these foolish things, well, I, wanna, I don't want to go to heaven, I want to go to where all my friends are, and this, this kind of nonsense. Uh, well, hell is not, there's not going to be people, have, there's not going to be parties down there. Uh, there's gonna there, there's torment down there. It's not a place to to want to go, and uh, you know I've heard it said, whatever you do, don't don't borrow your theology from from drunks and partiers. Those are the people saying, yeah, I want to go to hell and party with my friends. What well, are you going to borrow your theology from those people? You know, don't play the fool. Uh, this is not, not a good place, hell. Verse 32, For I have caused my terror in the land of the living, and he shall be placed in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword, Pharaoh and all his multitude, says 
the Lord. So not only Pharaoh, but the multitude. Now the multitudes of Egypt generally worshipped pagan gods. And uh, and it says here, they, they, they descend into hell. Now chapter 33 begins, really, uh, from here to the end of the chapter, is looking into the distant future. Up to now, there's a warning about the judgment of Jerusalem. Here in this chapter, actually, that judgment happens, and God starts speaking, rather, through, rather, God starts speaking through Ezekiel about the glory of the Lord, the coming glory of the Lord, the coming of God's kingdom, and all the glory that um, accompanies it. Now, part of what goes on in chapter 33 is God giving another charge to Ezekiel. Now, we saw that this morning in Ezekiel chapter 3 and 2 and 3 where he tells him, Son of Man, chapter 3, go speak to the house of Israel. Go to the house of Israel and speak with words to them. And that's what he does for, what, 20 chapters or something like that. And how much fruit did he see? Very little or none at all. And by the time we arrive in chapter 33, it's, it's, pro, it's, it's been five, at least five years since that time. He hasn't seen any fruit. And guess what? When you're laboring in God's field for five years and you haven't seen any fruit, it gets discouraging, particularly when your wife just died. Remember, his wife just died. His wife, who was who? The desire of his eyes just died. And he gets a reaffirmation here from the Lord. Look, you are doing fine. <laughs> That's what he's going to do in this chapter. You, you, you are doing fine. But you need to continue to fear me and you need to continue to say and speak the words that I am telling you. Verse chapter 33 says again, the word, so the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. So a watchman is someone who warns the people of a land. In other words, it's someone who stood on the, the wall of a city and looked for a coming enemy. A prophets were spiritual watchmen. Verse 3, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take the warning. His blood shall be on himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. In other words, if the watchman blows his trumpet, 
He's speaking of prophets here, but he's, it's an allusion to a watchman of a city with a literal enemy coming. If a watchman blows the trumpet, if he prophesies, if he tells the people, look, the judgment of God is coming, and they don't repent, they're going to be judged, but the prophet will deliver his soul, meaning he, he, he will be commended, he will be rewarded for being faithful. But if he doesn't, the people will be judged, and so will he. That's what God is telling to Ezekiel. You know, some of the things in the book of Ezekiel, God spoke to the children of Israel through Ezekiel. But this chapter is God speaking directly to Ezekiel himself. But there's also a message here for us. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, verse 7. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and you and warn them for me. So everyone in this room, you have a sphere of influence. You do. Your family, your workplace, your neighborhood. And in a very real way, God has placed you there. Not only to be salt, but as opportunities arise to, to actually to be a warning to them, to be a warning to them. We're not supposed to shut up and live in a cave. Now, I worked for years and years and years in places where it was exceedingly difficult to, to share my faith. But, you know, from time to time, the, 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 the Lord opened up the door and, and I, I was able to share my faith which provides a warning for people. You know, other times you open up opportunities and I didn't, I didn't take advantage of them. And, and this, is a, this chapter is a very healthy warning for us that, look, we need to be faithful. It's one of the most encouraging things is sharing your faith. It will just bless you and it'll make your joy complete. But our joy cannot be complete if we keep our faith to ourselves. Verse 8, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of your hand. It's a warning to you and me as well. It's not a, this chapter is not a chapter about believers going to hell. Believers cannot go there. But it's a, it's a healthy warning to us. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked... To turn away uh, from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? And it's, this is just people making excuses, similar to, I think it was chapter 18, where they say, look, our father's teeth were set on edge and therefore so are we. In other words, we, were, we had bad upbringings and so we're living in this, this, this unhappy, rebellious life that we're in. This is the same thing. If our transgressions, verse 10, and our sin lie upon us, in other words, we can't, we can't help it 
and we pine away in them, how then can we live? In other words, it's just inevitable. The sin that we're in, it's, it's just inevitable that we're going to continue in this. And I just hear this so often from believers. And sometimes it's, it's strange. Even though I've been pastoring for many years, there's a little part of me that begins to get convinced by someone that they're somehow different. That they had an upbringing or whatever happened to them that, you know, they actually have an excuse to remain in their sin. No! That's, what, that's the whole point right here. Verse 11 says this, very important verse in the Bible. Say to them this, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And so the, the, the idea here in verse 10, they're making up excuses and it's like, oh, God is just against us. I'm, I, I, I've just been, God has cast me in this lot, this position in life where I just, I'm doomed to failure because God is just against me. And God says, no, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I take pleasure when the wicked turn from his way. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of, uh, uh, of Israel? By the way, Jerusalem is just about to fall here. This is just a few verses away. But um, it's interesting how we have everything upside down. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, when his saints die, we... We think it's like a horrible thing. I was just this morning talking with someone about, actually this afternoon talking with someone about, I think a, a woman of God who was faithful with the Lord and she died. And what a horrible thing it is. But then when the wicked die, we, oh, you know, we, we rejoice. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a good thing. That person died. You know, uh, Osama bin Laden, whoever, you know, there's all these celebration in the, in the streets, this type of thing. God, we're exactly upside down. God says, I, I, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We have it completely upside down. Oh, how our ways are different than God's ways. Verse 12, therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. So this is very similar. It's interesting very similar to uh, chapter 18. He, he, the, because this is, this is almost identical to them. And it's, this is all about grace, these next verses. And God's, God repeats messages of grace because we're so thick-headed and we need it. The righteousness of the righteousness shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression, as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wicked. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that, we, th- th- that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Now, similar to chapter 18, again, this isn't really a a, a teaching about whether a person can 
keeps or loses their salvation. This is really about individual responsibility. Nevertheless, don't forget that salvation is always, always has been through faith. The, in the Old Testament, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so it was faith. It was faith in the promises of God. It was no one's ever gotten into heaven by good works, ever. Old Testament or, or New Testament. The, the only difference with the New Testament is the promises have been fulfilled. The promises that the Messiah would come and fulfill all righteousness, that was fulfilled. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to it. But today, just as well, the Old Testament, just like today, verse 13, if a righteous person, if a good person trusts in their own righteousness, if they're trusting in their own righteousness and, and they commit iniquity, meaning they fall into sin, none of his righteous works shall, shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. In other words, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even, quote, unquote, people we think of as righteous and good. But, verse 14, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If he turns from his sin and does what is lawful, and is right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statues of life, he shall surely live and not die. None of his sins will be remembered. And verse 17, and here we go again, that's not fair. Yet the children of your people say the way of the Lord is not fair. This is like all the people today when, you know, you, you, you witness to them about the thief on the cross. Guy had led a life of sin, habitual sin, habitual rebellion. He was a petty thief. His life was all about himself. But when he got on the cross next to Jesus and saw Jesus take all that punishment, and he saw right over his head, it said, King of the Jews, and he saw him say, Forgive them, for they know not what he do. He knew who he was. Jesus' actually name was well, well known at the time. The thief, I'm convinced, knew who he was. And he said to Jesus, all he said was, Remember me in your kingdom. And you tell people that. And they say, Oh, you telling me I can live, you know, my, someone can live their whole life and just get to the end of their life and, you know, trust in the, in the cross and they're going to heaven? Well, yes. And the irony is people who talk like that, if you were to play a camera film, a video of their life, they didn't live a righteous life either. It was just filled with dead religious works and, and in their mind there was, just like Jesus says, there was covetousness, there was murder, there was, there was stealing, there was fornication, the, the whole nine yards. And that's what this is, a lot of this, that's, that's, that's what this is saying. You can't, you can't trust in your own righteous works. That's the message there in verse 13. But here they are, the way of the Lord is not fair. But it is, but it is their way, it is their way which is not fair. That's what, that's what Ezekiel is saying, at the, at God is saying to the people who say that. No, it's their way that is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. That's fair. You want to talk about fair? That's fair. That's justice. 
But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does, does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. So, you know, they're, they're not stopping here. They're repeating again. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your own ways. And that's the point. The people who claim this is so unfair, that someone lives their life like a dog for the first 50 years, and then they turn to the Lord, and they're going to heaven. The people complaining about that, those very people, verse 20, if they're judged according to their own ways, their history. All men have fallen short of the righteousness of God. Verse 21, it came to pass in the 12th, so, so here we have the fall of Jerusalem here. Here's the fall of Jerusalem. Now keep in mind, this is to us this is just chapter 33, verse 21. To the Jews, this is the world ending, basically. 485 years, a line of the Messiah coming to an end, at least a physical man on the throne. So we know that the line of the Messiah continued right until Jesus. But in, in terms of what was visible in Jerusalem, it came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity. In the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month. I, I, I so appreciate this guy <laughs> marking down specific dates. It just speaks to the veracity of the Bible. January, January 8th, 585 that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said the city has been captured. So on January 8, 585, some guy got, came through to, into Babylon and said, it's over. The judgment has happened. Five months after it happened, it took that long to get there. Most people were killed. This guy got away and escaped. He knew that Ezekiel was there. Verse 22, now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man had came who had escaped, and when he, he had opened my mouth, so when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, so even though... So it says the night before this happened in, in verse 22, the land of Lord, hand of the Lord was upon him and God wouldn't let him speak. Is everyone following me? That's what verse 22 says. After he gets his new, news, that's what the Lord does sometime. He, he's like, you know, he, he, actually he does that with, with you and me as well. There, will, there are people in my life right now where they're just continuing in habitual rebellion against the Lord and the Lord's hand has just been upon me stop <laughs> you, you said your word it's pointless to continue but then there comes a time where the Lord lifts his hand <laughs> and, and he tells you to speak again and so that's what happened the day after he got this news the, the Lord opened up his mouth and basically Ezekiel is now going to start saying, even though he's 900 miles away, five months journey away, he knows exactly what the people are saying. He hears it because God hears it and he's telling Ezekiel what the people are saying who are inhabiting the ruins of Jerusalem. Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Just saying, wait a second, you know, surely this isn't happening. This is Israel. 
Verse 25, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord, you eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes towards your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? He's, he's referring to the human sacrifice they had been engaged in. and He's saying, look, no, it's no longer your land. You sinned grievously against the Lord. And now this judgment has come to pass. Verse 26, you rely on your sword, you commit abominations, you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? How can you still be saying this land is yours? It's amazing to me sometimes when people, when God judges Christians because of their sin, and they're, they may be in jail or they're, they're in an alcohol rehab or their family has left them because of their sin or because they've been working themselves to death or, or whatever, they're still saying, they're still refusing to repent. They're still refusing to turn to the Lord. And that's what's going on here. There's people li literally in the rubble saying, hey, this is still our land, right? I, everything's still okay, right? This was given to the Abraham and it's still ours, right? And Ezekiel's saying, no, wake up, smell the coffee. Verse 27, say to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruin shall fall by the sword and the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast, eek. Verse 28, for I will make the land most desolate, her arrogant strength shall cease and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate, desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So here we go, that same expression. Verse 30, as for you, son of man, the children of Israel are talking about you besides the wall and the doors of the house. And they speak to one another, everyone saying, please come and hear what the, what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. So last night I, did, I learned, or very early this morning I learned, that Berkeley School of Music's motto is to be and not to seem. To be rather than to seem. Does anyone follow that? To be rather than to seem. And Albert and I were reflecting on Berkeley School of Music's motto uh, very early this morning. Did you know that by memory, young man? You did? Right? <laughs> to be another Berkeley School of Music student. So actually, as you start thinking about it, 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 it really is a profound, even a biblical, the world borrows from the Bible all the time, expression. You know, we walk around seeming to be one person, and that's what they were doing. It says, it says indeed you are to them as very lovely song. R rather, it says... Um, with their mouth, verse 31, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. And what Berkeley School of Music's motto is saying, listen, you seem to, you're, you're, you're projecting yourself to seem like you're one way. Why don't you be that person? As Albert and I understood it, that's what they mean. That's what the motto means. But, but it, it, it's actually, it's, it's, you're seeming, you're projecting yourself to be one person. Your mouth speak, show much love. You're seeming to be one person, but you're not. 
Indeed, you are to them, verse 32, is a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will be know that a prophet has been among them. So eventually they're going to wake up and understand that... that um, Ezekiel was speaking the words of God and everything that he said came to pass. And so uh, a, a tough chapter here, a tough chapter about you know, God's, uh, God's judgment. And the good news is that it's, we, we start here with the fall of Jerusalem where the Lord is going to start talking about the future glory of Israel, and uh, we will be getting into those chapters in the in the coming weeks. 